I'm Dr. Michelle Plaster, and you're listening to Between Two White Coats, a weekly podcast where we dig into key issues surrounding health and wellness. I'm a family medicine doctor, and my co-host, Amber Foster, is a family medicine nurse practitioner. In our combined 30 years in medicine, we've seen a lot. We are taking some of our biggest questions, obstacles, and patient-centered advice and wrapping it into a 20-minute weekly podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have found this podcast helpful, give us a five-star rating and review. This helps other people find our podcast. And make sure you share it with your friends. Thank you for your time. We look forward to serving you. Thank you for joining us. We are so thrilled to have Jane Robinson with us again. We spoke in our last episode about anxiety and Jane, I just think some of the stuff you told us was so amazing. So if you are a nervous person or a person who may struggle with anxiety and you did not hear our last episode, please go back and listen to it. Um, There was some great information in there. And today we're going to go on to another really common situation, uh, another common problem for people, depression. Um, There's a lot of different uh, approaches uh, or um, diagnosis related to depression, seasonal affective disorder, where people um, have issues when they don't get enough sunlight and end up with depression through the winter or situational depression, where you're really in a time where this too shall pass, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to pass, or the pain uh, and sorrow during this too shall pass is too much, it's overwhelming. Um, There are a lot of times where people don't know, is this depression? Is this just sadness? Is this normal reaction to a lot of really bad stuff that's gone on in someone's life? So uh, let's talk a little, Jane, about what is depression? How, what would be concerning if someone's listening to this and they're wondering, should I be concerned about this in myself or my loved one? Okay. Um, If you're feeling overwhelmed by it or you're feeling apathy and not, you know, you're not interested in the things in life that you've typically been interested in. That is um, really huge. If I could just emphasize the apathy Sometimes uh, I'll say to people, you know, being being sad is one thing, but when you have a lot going on and you are in a, I don't care, I just can't care anymore. Yeah. That is when it's it's often uh, an indication of something more that you may want to seek some assistance with. That's right. Or you're sleeping consistently and, you know, during the day and you don't want to get up, you don't want to go work, you don't want to do things that you wanted to do in the past. Um, or obviously if you're having suicidal thoughts, you would definitely want to seek help. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different presentations of depression. And you mentioned sleeping a lot. You know, we have some screening tools that we use. The PHQ-2 tool is a simple two question have you lost interest in doing things that you would usually like to do? Are you feeling sad, lonely, depressed? And uh, if you answer yes to one of those questions, that's a pretty decent tool to say it might be time to go talk to your primary care or um, seek out a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, the PHQ-9 is more um, a nine question screening that digs into more of have you lost your appetite or are you overeating? So there can be changes 
and um, food, whether you're under or overeating or sleep under or oversleeping, um, feeling I, a lack of worth that it just doesn't matter if I'm here or not. Um, I also, you know, there's, we typically think of depression as the female sitting in the corner and balled up in the fetal position crying. Um, and people will not relate to that. So they don't think they're depressed. I will frequently say for men, depression plus testosterone is often anger more than it is sadness. And so if you are explosive and cannot control your temper, if the person pulls out in front of you and you're going to run them off the road, if there is an inability to control emotions in a negative way, maybe it's sadness, maybe it's anger, but there's an overflowing of negative emotions. Um, and I think when do you get help? When is it a problem? When it's getting in your way, mm -hmm. you know, when it's keeping you from living your best life, when it's hurting your relationships with other people, your kids, your, you know, I have, we have people all the time in front of us say, I'm so short tempered with my kids. I don't want to parent like this. Mm -hmm. And that's their point where they say, you know, I want to be loving. I want to be patient, but I get home and I'm so on edge and I'm so upset about so much that that's not the person that I'm able to be. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think it's time to recognize that there are options and that there are treatments. Uh, what are some of the approaches that you take with patients uh, for treating depression? Well, you know, I guess it depends too on the level. So if, if someone is severely depressed and, you know, it looks like it could be something that could be from childhood or their past, you would need to use psychodynamic therapy and dig into those issues, the adverse childhood issues that may have happened to them, or, you know, it may be early, it happened in their early adulthood. But honestly, with major depressive disorder, I would use psychodynamic therapy at first. Okay. Um, because I think many times you need to get to the root cause of uh -huh. what's going on. I would also advise them to see their primary care physician for possible medication in addition to the counseling. Um, that's usually a good protocol. And we talked um, a little in our first episode about when do you need medicines and when um, do you not need medicines? And, and um, we, we believe very strong that uh, a diabetic cannot wish more insulin into their body and a depressed person cannot wish more dopamine or serotonin or norepinephrine into their brain. And so if you are really thinking, I don't know why I feel this sad or why I feel this angry, I don't feel I have control over my emotions. It is very likely that you may not have control over your emotions. And that would be the time to really look at would a medication that helps increase those chemicals, those happy chemicals be appropriate. And I think there's a number of times where we'll see people who have been working with a counselor and the counselor has suggested that they come speak to us yeah. because they're doing the work mm -hmm. and they're and they're digging in and they're learning things about how uh, they can get better. But if they're not making the progress that the work would usually give them, then there may be more neurochemical things going on as well. Right. That's exactly right. Um, and, you know, it, with depression, there's different uh, presentations too. You may have someone presenting who is not able to get out of their bed 
every day. They're really, really struggling. They're hopeless. And, and that's a different presentation. I have also worked with people who are very highly functioning mm-hmm. that are also very depressed. I mean, they are very depressed, but they are working three jobs. Mm-hmm. Or they're okay. a CEO of yeah. a company. Yeah, or, yes. exactly. Exactly. So with those people, I would probably, I mean, I would use psychodynamic, obviously, with people that are highly functioning too, but then you get into the CBT again. Because they're already up and able to move around. The people who are not able to move around, you're going to start trying to get them up and get them moving around and maybe doing a little bit of exercise, walking to the mailbox and walking back um, to help get some brain chemicals moving. But if someone came to me in that condition, I would definitely refer to their primary care. Yeah. And the the CBT reminding people that's the cognitive behavioral Mm -hmm. therapy where not only are you um, counseling people to look back and identify some of the areas that have caused them pain or trauma so that they can once and for all deal with Mm -hmm. and and put that into a place that doesn't have to haunt them every day. But then also with the cognitive behavioral therapy, learning new tools, Mm -hmm. learning new behaviors, new ways to get control and keep control of your thought process so that you can dictate your day better. That's right. And, you know, many times when people come in severely depressed, there's shame. So you want to try to help that person reframe those thoughts because children process emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so if, if a parent has been negligent or um, absent, they may feel like it's their fault or something was wrong with them yes. rather than being able to attribute that to where it belongs. So then they turn that anger inward and then it turns into the shame and those kinds of things. And so that cognitive behavioral therapy piece helps them reframe that and understand their parents may have had problems too. Mm-hmm. And it's not really that something was wrong with them. Let's talk about the parents may have had problems too the hereditary or um, trends in families of different mental illnesses, depression uh, being bipolar, also being one mm-hmm. um, that has a genetic component to it. And so, you know, this, I think a lot of people are in this bad place where they, without knowing it, were raised by a depressed parent. Mm-hmm. They suffer with the same neurochemical imbalance themselves and are in this really difficult and dark place um, because there's a hereditary component to this. Mm-hmm. And whether it is uh, born or bred, there's also growing up in an environment where people were potentially abusive or not able to to show love in a way that a child needed. Yeah. And so that really can be difficult if you were raised in a home that suffered from depression and you yourself suffer from depression. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard place to be. But that does not mean that you're not able to heal from that. There's a lot Absolutely. of things that can still um, get you better, but don't ever find yourself in the place where you say, well, this has been my whole life. So I guess this is what I'm condemned to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because speaking of clients, I had a client that she said to me, her dad was depressed. She was depressed. She had siblings that were depressed. So she felt like there definitely was a hereditary component going on there. But she said, Jane, if I do these things that you're telling me, I'm going to get better and I'm not sure I know how to function if I'm better. Mm -hmm. 
I said, you might actually function better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, then putting herself too, a lot of times, like if she went back to that family where they're all depressed, but she's the one better, Mm -hmm. you know, would she revert back, you know, just to play the role in the family? Right. Uh, Because then that that misplaces, yeah, it it misplaces her from what that norm looks like in that family. That's right. Yeah. And for so many people in that situation, that that is their normal their mm-hmm. entire life they've they've only really ever been around people who function that way and so you know good for her to even seek out the help and yeah, realize absolutely. that that is not what she has mm-hmm. to have and to admit you know this is how i've functioned all of this time if i do this and i'm better how am i gonna what i'm not gonna know what to do even gonna look like <laughs> right right yes. yeah um let's talk for a moment about hey the difference between depression and grief. Okay. Um, grief is a, an area that you do a good amount of work in. And you know, without question, I think that kind of loss is people's darkest times and, and, and most emotional and sad times. When do you, the, the absolute gut-wrenching pain of grief, when is that natural? And when does that require help or interventions? Well, you know, it, it's gut-wrenching no matter what, really. Mm-hmm. So um, I think if you feel hopeless because of that loss or you feel seriously angry because of that loss, um, it, may be, it may be time to get help um, because it's, I mean, most people do struggle with, you know, with denial and anger and, depression, um, and bargaining, mm-hmm. those five steps that uh, Kubler-Ross discussed about grief. Um, most people do go through those, and sometimes you'll stay stuck in one, and you don't go through them linear. It, you go maybe in one, and you'll jump back to this one. You know, it just it jumps around. But when it's interfering with your life again, when you just don't feel like your life is right, you need you need to get help with the grief, and it is different because grief, grief and depression are different. In that grief has a precipitating event, right? Something has happened that has caused you to be incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes depression, there might not be a precipitating event, like you say, it could be hereditary. Um, grief typically you can work through. Um, depression is a little more difficult. So you will see the variance in that Um, when you're sad, you know, you might be sad that you didn't get to go on a trip somewhere, right? Which is completely different than if you feel such a significant loss of grief or if you're just depressed and you can't get up every day. And sometimes grief can cause that as well. But typically with grief, you can get back to a sense of a purpose in life. You will process that loss and understand that connection at some point and be able to celebrate that connection that you have with that person or that pet. And you will be able to move on with the life purpose again. If you're not able to do that, you definitely need to get some help. I have several patients, um, and I know we've all experienced grief and loss in, in different ways, but I've had patients who have had like situational depression because of grief. And so they were like, hey, I think I may need to be on something. And then we wean them off in three to six months. Not that they're over the death or whatever the event was, but they've realized, hey, okay, I've learned whatever this new normal, this new feeling 
you know, whatever it may be. And then we wean them off medication and they're still functional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think too, sometimes medication can be an option for even situational type depression that's associated Mm -hmm. with grief, but it's not true depression. And I'm glad you say that Amber, because I have so many patients who say, I don't want to take this the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would say 90% of the medicines we give people for anything, we don't want them to take the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> um, you know, the, there are some things that we can actually fix without doing a pill the rest of your life. But depression is very much for some people, something that you may not need to take the medicine or, you know, counseling helps give you the skills. And it's not something that you feel like you have to do the rest of your life. There will be times where you might want to revisit things because life gets hard again and then you and then you do okay. Um, so I'm really glad you bring up that there are there are short-term solutions to help you when you're really in the gut-wrenching. I have to function a certain way. I have to be able to do some things that I just don't feel like I can do right now. Um, and there's a lot of different tools that we can use to help people. And I think patients have even seen oh, these were tools. I know that they're at my disposal if I need them again, yeah. you know, and so that also gives them some sort of kind of like triumph feeling. Yes, like, and it takes away this. that despair yeah. that right. there's nothing yeah, that, that can help me. And then patients realize like that it wasn't like true mm-hmm. major depressive disorder. It was situational right. depression associated with grief. Right. And, uh, you know, we would be doing a disservice if we didn't touch on suicide, which, of course, is the thing that uh, none of us want to touch on because it's it's a really hard thing to talk about. And it's a scary place to be for people when they're having those thoughts of harming themselves. Um, so I, we definitely want to make sure that we touch on and talk about suicide. Um, suicide is is in the top 10 causes of death in our country. And I think people feel very alone when they suffer a loss from, from death by suicide, but they are not alone. It is, it is a uh, far too common thing. And we've talked about the stigma that goes with mental health so that people don't always reach out and get help before they get desperate. Um, and the, the different, uh, statistics that go with suicide 1.4 million adults attempt uh, suicide annually 60 percent of americans have suffered loss due to suicide and over 500,000 er visits are due to self-harm or suicide attempts um that's that's a lot of people so you know i i want people to know that this is not uncommon um, and that there are a number of things that we can do to help people. Um, and some suicides are even impulsive. So you, it may not be that people have been sitting and thinking about how they're going to do this and planning how they're going to kill themselves, that it may be more of an impulsive thing. So it's important to realize when you're in a place of anxiety or depression or OCD or any of these mental illnesses, don't wait until it gets worse, gets worse, because you may not see coming that um, the permanent solution to the temporary problem, to the the thing that we can offer help for if we can get to people before suicide occurs. Um, what would you say to people who are concerned about a loved one who they fear may be depressed or suicidal? Um, I would say get them help immediately immediately because yeah immediately because you you can't know what they may do for sure so um if you know even if it means calling the suicide hotline and and getting some counseling there 
uh, find a therapist, um, talk to the primary care doctor, but I mean immediately if you really are concerned about a loved one. I think sometimes when you say suicide, um, people will think, well, I don't, I don't know that I have suicidal thoughts, but when I, when I start pinning things down on patients, like, have you ever been driving and think about running off the road? Like those types of things, because they don't know where to place that. They think suicide is so far from them Mm -hmm. that they would, you know, I would never do this. But then when you start pushing, you're like, well, you're having these thoughts. And I don't think sometimes people realize how far they've gone Mm -hmm. down that road. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like I've had several patients say, well, you know, there's been times when I've thought, well, if I could just go to sleep and not wake up, you know, like, it's not like they're trying to do something, you know, um, you know, major, what they would consider major, what we hear, what you see on movies and when the reports and things that you get, but even those types of things are like intrusive thoughts, like you were mentioning Mm -hmm. earlier, is that they will, they will ruminate on those. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the depression. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. the DSM five is those recurring thoughts of death, you know, and so even that can be alarming, um, to providers and to counselors, but maybe not to the patients themselves because they're there, you know, and they live in this little circular guilt, shame cycle of, well, why do I feel this way? I shouldn't feel this way, but I'm feeling this way. And, you know, and how to break that cycle for patients. And and I am always struck um, when people say, when we ask, you know, have you thought about hurting yourself or would you commit suicide? And they say, well, I think the world would be a better place without me, or I wish I would go to sleep and not wake up, but I would never do that to my family. And if you have to say anything and then follow it with a but, we're still concerned. It's still concerning and it's still reason to get help immediately. Right. Because there is an impulsive nature. And we, we spoke before about how with mental illness, the unfortunate organ that is sick is your decision maker. And so you can't decide that your heart beats or doesn't beat. The heart's going to do that without your your decision. But when you're deciding things comes from your brain and your brain is the sick organ, then you can today very honestly say in front of someone, but I would never do that. I would I, The world would be a better place without me, but I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And then your decision maker is sick and, and you have an impulsive act or something that you really believed you would never do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say to people, don't be reassured by the, but I would never do that. It still is reason to seek help immediately. That's right. Anytime there is suicidal ideation, which is a little different from intention, of course, um, it's it's cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Well, at I any think point. too, like um, mental health hospitals or places for those type, they don't see them as like an emergency room if you break your leg. Right. You know, they see right. them as because, which the first thing that comes to my mind because I have children is like Batman Arkham Asylum, you know, where it's like the yeah. absolute villains, crazy people live here and I would never go there. And we painted that yeah. picture. Yeah, we childhood. have. Well, and, and even exactly the Batman movies are great for that. But also like even just Lifetime movies or things on television, like you don't want to go to the mental health hospital because they drug you and they do all these things. And that's not at all how it is. That's not how it is. But I think that's as a society, we have, we have done that very poor disservice because patients are so fearful to even go there. So then they're kind of where they feel stuck. You know, we're only open a certain number of hours a day. You're only open a certain number of hours a day. And so then they feel helpless. Right. And they don't want to seek the emergency immediate treatment. Yeah. So, you know, call the suicide hotline really and truly. You don't have to see anybody. Mm -hmm. You can talk to someone and they will, they will help talk people down. Yes, and then and, and create yeah. a, a resource. 
for whoever that they're talking to. Right, right. It is so important to get help because, you know, people don't really understand, I don't think, the seriousness of people who are considering suicide. Yes, yes. Um, but those people have reached a place of hopelessness and it needs to be addressed immediately. Like you're right. That's exactly right. And, and so really with that, we would say, if you have a concern about someone, um, get them to their doctor, get them to their counselor, psychiatrist, I uh, develop those therapeutic alliances. Uh, our patients know we have an after hours number. You can call us at any time and speak to the doctor on call and we will get you whatever help you need at any day or time. That is true of most primary care offices, um, certainly of mental health resources as well. And then the suicide hotline is something that I think if you suffer from depression or you have a friend or family member that suffers from depression, it's good to just have that information. Uh, and hopefully it's that information that you have and you never need, but you, right. you know, you have it in case you do. Um, there's been so much valuable information about uh, depression and it's such a common thing. Uh, we would really just want to encourage people to know that you are not alone if you are feeling down or or apathetic. If you wake up and you're just like, I just don't care. I don't have the passion for life that I used to have. Um, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's no reason. But this is not an uncommon thing. But there are so many resources and you don't have to feel that way. And so whatever it takes, reach out to those resources and make sure that you're asking for and seeking the help. That's right. We just can't thank you enough for joining us, Jane. The knowledge that you have and the passion that you have for helping people is incredible. Um, Jane uh, works, uh, owns and runs Infinite Endeavors. And so you can find her out there in the World Wide Web. Sound like my mom saying that. <laughs> um, and uh, we have just been blessed to be able to spend some time talking about mental health. This is something that Amber and I are both really passionate about because of all the things that we do to help people with their physical health every day, none of it really counts for much if you're not in a good mental space. And so getting your sugar down and your blood pressure controlled, but feeling like you just have no passion for life doesn't really do a whole lot. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. We like to finish each episode with a positive thought. So here's today's Tell Me Something Good. We have the ability to redirect our thoughts and select our focus. We can choose to think about positive things or we can choose to allow our brain to be in the negative space. I encourage you to start to recognize when your brain is in a negative space and start replacing those negative thoughts with more positive thoughts. It will change the entire course of your day. Thank you for joining us today and until next time, Take care of yourself.